Well, kinfolk, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, holy liberator, descend with your Holy Spirit like a dove and shatter the things that bind us. Again, Lord, send a word for your children. Listen. Amen. In 1997, a psychotherapist and self-help guru, Richard Carlson, published uh, what became his most famous book. It was called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and It's All Small Stuff. Now, I don't mind the first half of the title of that book, uh, but there's, <laughs> there's definitely some stuff out there that's not small stuff. But we need to put this book into its uh, proper historical context, right? Carlson was writing to an America that looked radically different than it does today. Here was 1997. I was there. I remember it. <laughs> 1997 was at the height of the Clinton administration uh, boom years. The economy in 97 was roaring. Americans had greater general prosperity that year than in any other time in our entire history. Indeed, economists cite the 1990s as the largest economic expansion at any point in the past two and a half centuries in America. Maybe we could afford to sweat a little bit less uh, 25 years ago. But there was a powerful kernel of truth in his work, namely that Americans worry too much. He made three basic points in his book. First, your life is not an emergency. Second, cut people some slack, especially when they don't deserve it. And finally, don't put off doing the things that you love. Now he made millions of dollars saying this stuff. And he made millions of dollars saying this kind of stuff that I think a lot of us tell ourselves in the shower. Uh, but his life was a, a bit of a tragic comedy because Dr. Carlson, he passed away quite suddenly at the age of 45 in the year 2006. He suffered a, a pulmonary embolism on an airplane flight. Perhaps he was, as so many of us are, a prophet of his own life. Now, Jesus has a similar, but perhaps simpler message throughout the Gospels about not worrying. Or rather, I should say, um, rather, he says, make sure that you're worrying about the stuff that matters. Now, here are some specific things that Jesus does not want us to worry about things that he names. He does not want us to worry about our clothing. He doesn't want us to worry about what we're going to eat. Receiving our share of an inheritance. That was today. He doesn't want us to worry about how much money we have. And he doesn't want us to worry about overly much about whether or not we go to heaven when we die. He's asked this a number of times. He says we ought not worry about the opinions of powerful people. We ought not worry about the opinions of people in our biological family. 
And we most certainly ought not worry about whether or not somebody else is sinning. The list of things that he gives us to not worry about is actually, it's long. Maybe I should write a book. Aha! Make a million dollars. Anyway, if we come away from the Gospels of Jesus Christ with anything at all, we come away with the idea that uh, we might be worrying about the wrong stuff. Most of the stuff we need to worry about, Jesus says, is about our relationship with the world and each other. Now the world, but more specifically with money, with money. Um, Jesus talks specifically about money. He says that our, he speaks about our relationship with money, with material wealth, more than any other single topic in the entire Gospels. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ speaks about our worry about money and material wealth more than any other single topic in the Gospels. He, he references this worry more than 80 times. And in fact, if you take the entire Bible, cover to cover, money, money and our relationship with money is the second most referenced topic in the whole thing. Second. You know what the first most referenced topic in the Bible is? Before money? Well, of course we all know what the number one most referenced topic in the Bible is. Let's discern our answer from context clues, right? Let's just take us a looky-loo at the church today in America. Because obviously and surely the, 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 the subject that gets talked about the most in the entire Bible would get talked about the most in, in church, I assume. Right? So it's probably um, abortion. Um, no? No. Is it gay people? No, it's not. Church seems to spend a whole heck of a lot of time talking about that stuff. I know what it has got to be. It's got to be these hippies and their rock and roll music. <laughs> the Bible's got a lot to say. No? What about gambling? Whiskey? Uh, women and men sitting together in movie theaters. Clearly, that's got to be the number one issue. Rap music? No. Democrats. I think... I should actually reference the Bible itself. Folks, the number one topic referenced in the Bible nearly twice as, as often as topic number two is, uh, the, is the, the care and treatment of the poor. The care and treatment of the poor. Taken as a whole, the primary driving concern of Scripture is the way that we treat poor people. And so it's not surprising that money is the second most talked about issue. Because I think that these things are pretty closely related. Today Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. Be on my guard. Against what, Jesus? Who? Against who? The terrorists? The, the NRA? No, Jesus says, be on your guard against all forms of greed. Your life is not in your possessions. I think, I think sometimes it's entirely true that the stuff that we own, our possessions, is, is likely the same stuff that's killing us. You know, aside from that saying, don't sweat the small stuff, people also really love to say, um, life is short. Life is short. You know, eat dessert first. Life is short. This is not true. 
Your life is the longest thing that you're ever going to do on this planet. Uh, but, but there are things, I think, that are sucking away at our time. Time that is precious, that we can never get back. Remember, you are the unpaid curator of the museum of your own life. Nobody's paying you to, to, to take care of all the stuff that you own. We instill ourselves, though, in this idea that the stuff that we own somehow defines us. That the stuff that we have has sacred value. We assign sacred value to stuff. And I'm going to prove it to you. I do this thing with teenagers whenever I'm supposed to lead a group of teenagers. It's not my favorite activity. I don't understand teenagers. They are a bafflement to me. Uh, but what did they say, Pastor Nathan, we need you to pray with the youth group or teach them something. So we'll go out to the woods. We'll have a camp out or as you do with the youth group. And then um, I always think the easiest thing, just give the kids some kind of challenge. You know, pick the, the two loudest talkers and give them something to do. Um, See, so you two, who then, who can pick up the most trash around the campsite? You've, you've got an hour. Go. Um, or who can collect the most firewood for the campfire tonight? Um, and, and, and since teenagers are fundamentally objects at rest until motivated by some compelling outside force, I will, uh, to motivate them, I'll produce a crisp, uh, a nice crisp $5 bill. $5 is, the, is, is to a, like a, a teenager, I think, what $20 is to a 20-year-old. It's, it's five bucks is it's something, okay? Now, um, five whole dollars, they're gonna off, they have to do the thing, right? They're gonna pick up the trash and, 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 and pick up the firewood. And then invariably, at the end, uh, the thing, the two teenagers are gonna argue with me about which of them did the most work, and so who deserves the $5 bill, right? And so I'll always just sort of shrug and then just kind of give them each half of the $5 bill. Um, then that seems fair, okay? Did you, did you feel something when I ripped this in half? Did you? Yeah, yeah. You know, of course, if I just burned the blessed thing, I'd simply be increasing the sum total of the value of all the currency in circulation by five whole dollars, right? That's economics. But most of you also know that I can just tape the thing back together and any bank will still accept it. Nevertheless, we invest sacred value into stuff that we didn't bring into the world with us, that we certainly will not be taking out of the world with us. Well, Nathan, you've got to learn the value of a dollar, young man. You've got to learn its value. That's the problem. See, that's the problem, is that people don't actually understand the value of money. The, this, this, the, money, the money stuff, um, this is what you're trading your life for. And the money is also an exchange for time that you could have perhaps spent in the company of children. And for what? Well, okay, for good things, yes. That is entirely true, for security for a home, opportunities for your children, for charity, for the benefit of our community. But understanding the value of a dollar means understanding that there's a point of diminishing returns. Now I want to state up front that it is awful being poor. 
It is especially awful being poor in America. I've been poor. I'm not like crushing poverty or anything, um, but <laughs> I was in graduate school for a sum total of six years after college. Right? So I spent a, a decade, my first adult decade, I spent living paycheck to paycheck and being poor. And being poor in America is merciless. People who aren't poor now, we really quickly forget how expensive it is to be poor. It's expensive to be poor in America. You're constantly paying fines and fees. When was the last time you paid an overdraft fee? Which is crushing if you're a poor person. When you're not poor, an overdraft fee is a nuisance or an embarrassment. But to be poor in America is expensive. It comes with fines and fees. People uh, are constantly paying this money and the interest on the loans that we take out often is more than we can handle. But the answer to this isn't simply wealth. Now this question has been studied to death in just about every journal of human behavior that's still getting published. To be clear, if you are poor in the United States of America, having more money can improve your happiness up to a certain point. And that point, at least as of 2018, because COVID kind of blew all this stuff up, but as of 2018, that number uh, was between $60,000 and $75,000 per year, de depending on where you live in America. That's it. At that point of income, any increase in income no longer correlates with an increase in happiness. And in fact, the data starts to, sh to demonstrate that once you surpass $100,000 in income per year, your wealth actually starts to adversely affect your happiness. So folks, what I'm saying up here, if I'm saying anything, is that if you earn more than $75,000 a year, you can just give the difference to St. John's Church. And you will improve. I'm just, okay, I'm kidding. Har har, just a joke. Maybe. <laughs> Jesus is telling this parable today to try to shock us and wake us up. He, it's a parable, it's a silly parable. It's about a man who spends his days congratulating himself on how abundantly his crops have produced. It's brilliant because the first line, um, he says, Jesus told him a parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly, abundantly. Who, who from, from whence comes the abundance? From the rich man? No, from his land. The land produced abundantly. He didn't. Now, he convinced himself he did, but it was the land. It's a... Uh, it's uh, the earth that is abundant. It's the rain and the sunshine. But this guy, he thinks he's responsible for his bumper crop, and he thinks in terms of barns, so much so that God calls him a fool, and God mocks him by saying, tonight you're going to die, so whose stuff is that going to be tomorrow? Fun parable, layers and layers. Don't store up treasures for yourself instead of being rich toward God. Rich toward God, what does that mean? What is rich toward God? Now, it's easy to think that Jesus is saying, don't hoard your money, give it to the church. Be rich towards God. But that's, that's not true or fair. While the church would be perfectly happy to receive your extra money, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. What does it mean, don't store up treasure for yourself, but be rich toward God? The Greek doesn't offer any clarity here. It's a pretty clear translation. 
When I was a young man in 2002, 2003, I participated in uh, some anti-war protests. The, the anti-war protests against the Iraq war were the largest anti-war protests that have ever occurred on the planet Earth. They were massive. And I'm glad that I did go to those protests. But, you know, um, my, I had a family member who criticized me and he said, you know, y'all go ahead and protest all you want. The rest of us have jobs. He assumed that the only people at the protests were unemployed. Um, I, I had vacation time that I'd saved up for my job working on campus at the university. Uh, I had other stuff that I wanted to do, but I felt that this was more important. I think what was part of Jesus' saying here is like, you know, I knew I had to go to those protests because my friends were dying over in the desert for no good reason. Now, compared to making a few extra bucks at my campus job delivering sandwiches, the choice was pretty obvious and clear to me, which was worth my time. Jesus is saying, get your priorities straight. Sometimes there are things in life that are more important than making money. Or that perhaps we don't always get to decide the most important use of our time, but that we give that over to God. When Jesus calls Peter to be his disciple there by the lakeside, Peter could have easily said, listen, man, I can't. I got to go to work, all right? I can't go wandering around with you for three years. I got to put food on the table. Any of them could have said that, but they didn't because they were rich with their time and their talents toward God. Now, it isn't easy, and I don't mean to make it sound that way, because it's a billion little decisions that we make from moment to moment, the small stuff, and it has a kind of tyranny hold over our lives, the little objects in our lives, the broken tools, gadgets, iPhones, laptops. Okay, how many of you have a box of, like, wires sitting in your basement for charging devices that you can't even purchase anymore? That, I get it. I have many of them. We keep that stuff in our, in our attics, in our basements and stuff. It was, why? Why do we have it? Let it go. Store up treasures in heaven. All right, I'm going to go sit down. But first, here, let me just close this by saying this. I want to be clear. Store up treasures in heaven. Here's a heavenly treasure. Here's a heavenly treasure. The smell of a flower on a spring day. Here's a heavenly treasure. The laughter of a child. A little song and dance that a kid does when you're trying to be busy balancing your checkbook. But they say, Daddy, watch. I don't have time to watch. I've got to do this spreadsheet. What? No. Here's a heavenly treasure. A good joke. A walk around the lake at dusk. Christmas cookies. Petting a cat that doesn't bite you. Giving food to a hungry person. Giving money to a poor person. Holding hands. The experience of watching a good film with somebody. Reading a good book. Playing a good game. Laying in the snow. A pointless adventure. Worship is a heavenly treasure. Learning, teaching, sharing, loving, making love, making art. Baking bread, holding a baby, watching with awe and wonder as a child grows into an adult. 
staring into the eyes of a good friend. These are heavenly treasures. And they're heavenly treasures because you get to take them with you when you go. You do. I'm serious. It's in the Bible. You get to take them with you. And you don't want to get there broke, friends. There's a lot of great stuff waiting over there. But none of it has a dollar value. None of it can be stored up in a bank account or written down on a ledger. No, our heavenly treasures are the things that can't be assigned a dollar value. Mm. Now, it's fine. Get some dollars, sure. But know what it is that you're trading for those dollars. And be on your guard. That's all Jesus says. He says don't make, he doesn't say don't make money. He doesn't say money's, uh, uh, Paul never says that money's the root of evil. It's the love of money. Make money, that's fine. But be on your guard, be careful. And finally, always rejoice. Rejoice that the very best things, the best things in life, the heavenly treasures, the greatest of all heavenly treasures, are always completely free of charge. Amen? Amen.